uh, all during the week you had to show that you were present by lifting up a breath mint. If you didn't have a breath mint, you was counted as absent. Although you had to stay, but you were absent. And uh, the pref- professor's reason for the breath mint, he said if somebody came to the altar, you could chase them away if you didn't have your breath mint. Okay. And then on Friday, when the preaching time, you had to have your Bible also. So it was breath mint and Bible to be present. And oftentimes, even pastors today sometimes, don't carry a Bible into the pulpit. Um, and many of them just preach from the t- top of their heads. Some of them will have notes, whatever, you know. Uh, the whole thing is this Word of God. The Word of God educates the man of God and the woman of God. It educates them that they might live the life that God has planned for them. It's an education. It's not, I'm saved and I'm all that I'm supposed to be. Salvation is your starting point. It's like getting into the batter's box. It's like getting into the position to get ready to run your race. Uh, It's the beginning is not the end, but a lot of people have taken salvation as the end. Salvation is your starting block. You're just starting off. You're starting this race. You're just starting this journey. You're just starting to run this Christian life. And you and I have to educate ourselves. A good runner educates himself. He paces himself. He knows when to really exert himself. A good basketball player does the same thing. Everybody in sports life, everybody in teaching, everybody in some type of field, there's that ongoing training. You can't be a teacher or a nurse today without ongoing training. It used to be, boy, you could pass your teacher's license, get your license, you didn't have to go back for nothing else. You could get your nursing license and you were done. Now you got to go back every so often to be retrained. The only folks that don't think they have to be trained is Christians. Why is that? Why is it that we don't think we have to be educated and trained in the Word of God? Somehow, us mostly, we, we just think we got it all. And we know it all. And this word is the thing that educates us and gives us knowledge and learning. The church stands against the wickedness of man. But we have to learn how to stand. And we also have to learn to be able to tell right from wrong. Because, boy, now we call light dark and darkness light and we call wrong right and we have right to be wrong and, and, and we, we got it all mixed up. So where do you get something that defines that this is wrong or this is right? Somebody has to set the standards. If man sets his own standards... Boy, you'll never be able to cross the finish line. You don't know if you finished at 25 yards or 50 yards or 75 yards or 100 yards or 200 yards. There's got to be a standard that says this is the 100-yard dash and this is where the finish line is. Somebody has to set those standards. And God has set those standards. Therefore, the church, it is an educational institution. And the church prepares God's people for works. Works that are going to work against the wicked one in this world. Now, our government couldn't beat alcohol and couldn't stop alcohol and couldn't stop it, so it said, let's make some money off of it. And they legalized it. Now, we've done that 
with the alcohol. Boy, when we were kids, I mean, you knew about the numbers. You could play a penny, you could play a nickel, you could play a dime, you could play this, and they had people running all over the neighborhood playing the numbers. So the government basically said, boy, we're going to get involved in that too. We're going to start the lottery, and we're going to win us some money, and we put a good little tail behind it. It's going to help the education. And very little money goes towards the education. I was getting gas the other day on Waterloo Road in Manchester there at the BP. Guy spent $130 on getting those little tickets up out of the thing. You know. Then we said, boy, we can't beat the drug guy out there on the corner with his pharmacy. We'll start our own pharmacy. And the government's making money. The Christian cannot take wickedness and use wickedness to win people to the Lord. They can only use righteousness. They can only set up something against that thing that is wrong, but it has to be set up in a biblical fashion that is right that can come against that wickedness. What Christians have learned to do more successfully than anything else is to complain. We complain against this, we complain against that, we complain about what the wickedness that's going on and that's taking place. But very seldom will we set something up that, is, that will counter it or give people an option. And there's a reason because of that, why we don't set it up. We'll come in our four walls and talk about it. We'll come in our four walls and we'll complain about it. And that's one thing about the young people. They're just, start, they're, they're just tired of hearing the church complain and then don't do and the reason we don't do because the first thing we always say, what's the cost? But we're quick to, very quickly quote, our God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. But we don't act like that. We're here to stand against wickedness. And Satan understands something. If he can hit the Christian pocket, he'll slow down our stance. He'll slow down what we do. And see, God didn't call us together to act as individuals. He called us together to act as one people. Because three sticks tied together is hard to break. And the church is the place where the people of God are educated on how to act and work together towards the wickedness that is in this world. The church prepares the people of God for works against wickedness in this world. And that's one of the jobs of the church. We have too many people who say that they're saved and yet they live wicked, evil, sinful lives. And that's mainly because they've never been educated in any other way to live. They know one way to live and that's how Satan taught them to live. So Satan don't mind sometimes you being saved if he can keep you out the game. If you just be a bench warmer, that's fine. And how many of you would select to play pro ball, make a million dollars, and never enter a game? And a lot of us, boy, we sit on the bench of Jesus Christ, collecting some of the benefits, not all of them, but we never get in the game. And God wants us to get in the game. 
Because Satan, he don't have no bench sitters. He has people that are active until he use them up, wear them out, until their minds are destroyed, until their bodies are destroyed, until they're dead. Satan doesn't let up. But the church, the people come to a place that as long as I come in my four walls and I can jump and shout and be happy a moment, I'm okay. But don't tell me what I should be doing. Don't tell me how I should live. Don't tell me how I should think. Don't tell me that I should be married to one woman. Don't tell me I can't play around some. Don't tell me I can't sleep over here and sleep over there. Don't tell me I just got to love one man. Don't, don't, don't tell me uh, I got to give so much money to the church. I'll give what I want to give them. If I only want to give 50 cents, that's what I'll give. God's book here has many standards for life. And that's what we are to learn and then apply and teach our children, our grandchildren. I hope we can see them teaching their children. We are saved and placed in the church of God to be his workmanship. And that workmanship is we are made by him. We are developed by him, that word workmanship. It is something that has been crafted by God. You are not what you used to be if you really are saved because you are now crafted or being crafted by God. And that's why the very next part says you're created in Christ Jesus. Not just that you were created. The first part is very true. God created us all. But if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. He is being created anew in Christ. To be like Christ. For this purpose. To do the works. Now catch this. That God already prepared. God doesn't wait until he saved you. And then has to scratch his head. Well, I think I got a job for you. He already has the works he wants to do. But he has to prepare all of us. Educate us all. In the work that we're going to do. And he has a work. Why? Because Satan's doing the work. And he's going to counter every work that Satan does. And that little verse, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, that whatever the Christian does should be far greater than what the world can do. Because the one who is working in us, the Holy Spirit, is going to make it much better than what the flesh can do on its own. Now, God knows how he wants to use us. So we sang that song, Use Me, Lord, Use Me. But one of the things that we sometimes don't put behind it is this here. When we're singing, Use Me, Lord, Use Me, sometimes we're saying in our mind also, Lord, this is how I want to be used. See, when you ask the Lord to use you, you just want to be used. You're not telling him how you want to be used, when you want to be used, where you want to be used. You just want to be used of God. That's a maturing aspect of the Christian. That he understands and he desires to be used by the Holy Spirit to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. That is not about him or her. 
It really is about the Lord. And I'm asking God to use me. But if God's going to use you, he has to educate you. He has to teach you. Because what you're going to go up against is that which is wickedness. Whether it be on the job, whether it just be out in public, whether it be the next door neighbor, you're going to go against wickedness, you're going to go against evil, and you have to know how to deal with that wickedness and that evilness. And you even have to know how to speak to that person who is performing or living in that manner. And that's why the Bible is so important that we're educated. God knows how he wants to use us. Secondly, you need to be aware, and this is what Ephesians 6 is talking about, that after you've done all else, after you put on the armor of God, and you've done all that you can do, you take a position and you just stand. You know how many people, people applaud who just take the right stand and do the right thing? A couple of weeks ago, a man on news, uh, he, had, he bought one of them uh, chairs up at uh, uh, the uh, shop up there on, top, on um, the hill up there on Roaming Road, uh, Restore or Habitat. And he kept wondering why the footstool was so lumpy. So he finally just cut the bottom of it open a little bit. And there was $42,000 stuffed up in there. And he thought about putting a new roof on because his house needs a new, a new roof. But he went back up to the store to find out who donated the chair and the foot ornament. And he gave the money to the people because their father donated the chair just before he died in there. And he gave the money back to the family. That was the right thing to do. Yeah, a lot of us will say, mm, I found it. We use that little saying, find your keepers, we first losers. You know, we go on and we use that little phrase and we come up with all other kind of things. Well, uh, it may not be theirs. Uh, we come with all kinds of excuses why we don't do the right thing. But the Bible gets us to a place we have to do the right thing, and Satan will always try to get us to do the wrong thing. Because the moment we do the wrong thing, the moment we sin, we fall out of fellowship with God for a moment. And at that point, God can't use us. Because God's work can never be done in wickedness, in sinfulness. Now, go with me to Proverbs 21.12. In this little statement, it tells us something about this fight that's going to take place. And, and, And in this, we need to understand... Yeah, there's only one who is righteous, and, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. That is God. And he says, and it's capitalized in some of your Bibles, it will say, boy, the righteous one. Well, well, right away we know that's not talking about who. It's not talking about me per se. But neither am I left out. Neither am I left out of it. And that we need to understand the righteous one is God. The righteous one is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the righteous one. And the whole process is that I'm included. Remember that little song you used to sing? I am the Lord's army. I'm a soldier for the Lord. I'm involved. You know, when the United States talks about sending their army, who's involved? Everybody who's enlisted, who's in the military. Well, you're in the army of the Lord. And when the Lord fights a battle, guess who's involved in that battle? You are. Now, yes, the battle is the Lord's, but the Lord has a mighty army. 
Not just you. He has the angels. Jesus said on the cross, boy, I could have called, what, 10,000 angels. The whole process is that we're in that army. The battle is his. But we're his soldiers. We're the people he's going to use to fight against wickedness. And yet, he can destroy it all by himself just by speaking a word. He can do it. He can do it. But the way that we see God work is when we get involved in the battle. The way we see God work and we get to understand him and we're able to see his hand move is that we get involved in what he's involved in. See, I just don't want to be a spectator. I want to be a participant. I want to be used by the Holy Spirit. I want God to use me. And he goes on there. He says, the righteous one takes note of the house of the wicked. Every wicked thing that's going on, God's aware of it. But God holds up a standard of righteousness for every wicked thing that takes place. Or the wicked would never know or be able to identify the righteous or the righteous thing that they need to do. So God is always setting a standard that the wicked can see and recognize that this is what is right. This is what is right. This is what is right. And as Christians, we should be clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We take our stand, we live our life, and people should be able to look at you and say, that's what it is to be a godly woman. That's what it is to be a godly man. That's what it is to be a godly family. That's what it is. That righteousness. That's what it is for a man not to smoke. That's what it is for a man not to cuss. That's what it is for a man to dress himself like a man. That's what it is to be a godly woman, not a loose woman. Not a woman who's trying to show and be flashy and show herself off. Should be able to be declared by some. That's a godly woman. Then a godly family. That's how you raise a family. That's how you put interest into a family. That's how you build a family. These are the things that you do. Why? They are the righteous things that have been taught by God. And people are able to see us do it and live it. And he says, boy, he takes note of the house of the wicked. And look what he says now. And brings the wicked to ruins. Brings the wicked to ruins. And my question, will he use us to bring down the work of the wicked ones? And I think he does. I think he uses his people to bring down the wicked. To show the wicked that they're wrong. And to show the wicked there is a right way to live. When I talk with men and women sometimes, and they tell me, you know, uh, no, we're just kind of like living together, this and that. Well, God has a perfect plan called marriage. The first thing they want to tell me about all the failures in marriage. There are a lot of marriages that fail. But my answer back to them is simply this. Somebody in that relationship was not following Christ, so we would never ended up in divorce. That's all. There's an answer. Somebody was not following Christ. Both husband and wife have to be following the Lord Jesus Christ. That that marriage works and shines and is a testimony in the community. That is a testimony to the rest of your family. That is a testimony that marriage does work. Somebody got to stand up and say, yes, I'm going to shine for the Lord. I'm going to allow the Lord to use me. And I believe God wants to use us. Jerry Falwell was right. Like he said, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the abortion houses. I'm not going to spend a lot of time out there marching against the abortion houses. I know that they're wrong. And what did he do? He set up a program. If you became pregnant and you came into their program and was accepted, 
He gave you a place to live, gave you four years of college free. He wanted to educate you, and he helped you feed that baby and clothe that baby until you graduated. Now, you may not think much about Jerry Farwell, but he did something very positive. And the whole process, if you take a lot of our churches, if we stop overpaying, if we stop building big cathedrals, it might be a surprise what we can do in the community and in the lives of people. God is not really glorified by the cathedrals that we build or the buildings that we build. And yes, you need to build facilities that allow you to function. But some of the things we're building today and some of the pays we're paying out is getting ridiculous. Because there's more important work to do than to lavish one person or to lavish one building. There's more important things to do. And that is rescuing people, rescuing children, rescuing marriages, rescuing. And all those things take funds to do. Go over to Proverbs 29. And he tells us in verse 27. Let me get there. The righteous detest the dishonest. The righteous detest the dishonest. If you were at McDonald's and you're going to the drive-thru and you gave the person $5 for your cup of coffee but they give you $10 back would you give it back to him, or would you say, I'm blessed? <laughs> the Lord just blessed me. You know. Or would you allow the person to know, you made a mistake. I got a cup of coffee. It was only this much. I only gave you this much, but you gave me back ten. That would be the right thing to do. But sometimes we're... We're getting funds differently. Boy, I, I can't tell you how many times right down the bottom hill where Jasper used to work, they hit those tickets. And, and boy, they start off with their holy dance. I don't know how many dances Jasper has seen down there. You know. and, and they get in the store, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Uh, well, okay, you hit. But were you really trusting God when you played it? Because if you were trusting God, you would never play it because you know God will provide all your needs and you don't have to do it. But until you're educated that God supplies your needs, God gives you all that you need, you try to then take care of yourself in other ways. And he says, boy, that the righteous detest dishonesty. Now, take a good look at this now. The wicked detest the upright. Why would the wicked detest the upright? Because you're saying to the wicked, you're wrong. Now, how many of you out here like to hear somebody tell you you're wrong? See, we don't like to hear that. We don't like to be corrected. We don't like to be told we're wrong. But when Scripture says you're wrong, you're wrong. It's not coming from the individual. It comes from Scripture. And it says, boy, the wicked, boy, they detest those who will say to them, you're wrong. You're living wrong. You shouldn't do that. That's called sin. Don't say that to me. I'm not a sinner. That's one of the things that Schuler came up with. Schuler recognized people would not accept being called a sinner. And so he writes and he says, don't use the word sinner. Don't tell people that they're sinners. Because people don't want to accept that fact. Because everybody in their own eyesight see themselves as good. 
Don't call me a sinner. You're trying to judge me. Well, the way you're living, yeah, somebody need to help you out. See? Because what you're doing is sin. You're destroying your own life. And Shula said, don't call people sinners. I'm not the one calling you a sin. Scripture says all have sinned and do what? Come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. And if I'm sinning, I am a sinner. But that's hard to convince people of. Because today we're just like in the book of Judges. Everybody see them right, themselves right where? In their own eyes. They see themselves right. And both have to be at work to achieve purpose. To achieve Satan's purpose, wickedness has to be at work. To achieve what Satan wants, the destruction of God's creation, wickedness has to be at work. Sin has to be at work. But also to Rescue men and rescue women and deliver them. And to see them come to a point of salvation in Jesus Christ. The righteous have to be at work. So both of these are working. Either you are a child of Satan working for him, or you are a child of God working on his behalf. But you're working for one or the other. There's no in between. You're working. You're doing, you're active for that purpose. Now, the function of the church is to educate. It is not to make you feel good. It is not to make you, boy, go out here saying, did you hear what pastor said? No. The church is to cause you to think and use what God gave you, this mind up here. It is to teach you and cause you to think intelligibly with clearness because one's thinking is going to build one's character. For how a man thinketh, so is he. His character comes out of his thinking. A woman's character comes out of her thinking. It's how she sees herself, how she values herself. A man's thinking comes out of how he sees himself, how he values himself. And both of them have to have some standards. One as a woman, one as a man. What are my standards and where do you draw them from? And the only place you can really draw them is from the Word of God. I was listening to Nelson Mandela yesterday and he was describing in his tribe that he was in that they pass from being a young man into manhood by being circumcised with no pain medicine, just a sharp sword or spear, no stitches, no nothing now. And they are circumcised and that piece of skin is thrown into a hut all the young men there that are circumcised, then they burn down the hut. And it's to demonstrate you have moved from childhood and young man into manhood. I don't think I'd ever become a man under Mandela's in room. But what is it that develops a man and a woman? Nothing can develop a godly man or a godly woman, but the Word of God. But the Word of God. Nothing else can. And that's the purpose of the education, that we're building character in godly women, godly men. What do we want to accomplish? Go to Ecclesiastes with me. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Teaching, as I said a couple weeks ago, we can teach and you can gather knowledge, but knowledge without action means nothing. You have to take your knowledge and put it into action. 
You have to take the knowledge that you have and do something with it. If you go to school to be an accountant and you learn everything about being an accountant and then you go out and be a mechanic and try to be a mechanic, what was all that education about? You go to school to be a lawyer, but you never open a practice. You never do anything with it. What was all that education about? And that's the same thing with the church. You come in to be educated in the word of God, but to go out and to do nothing with it. Or to live as Satan would have you live, rather than how God would have you live. And we need to recognize that, yes, in this education, it's a purpose behind it. And we need to be able to explore that purpose and carry it on. So in verses 9 and 10, in chapter 12, he says, boy, not only was the teacher wise, so, so the one that you look to be a teacher or you're looking to teach you need to be somebody of wisdom and knowledge. Don't let a fool teach you because a fool can do that. If you learn from a fool, you will be no more than a fool. But you choose who teach you. You need to understand that. You choose who teaches you. And you need to be wise in picking who's going to be your teacher. And he says again, not only was the teacher wise, but also he imparted knowledge. Is there knowledge being imparted? Is there something that you can learn and take home and study and contemplate or rethink it and examine yourself by? Am I receiving some kind of knowledge? Or well, I'm just a hearer, but I'm not a doer. And James said, don't be a hearer, but be a doer of the word. And the whole process is that you want to gain knowledge. You want to gain understanding. And, and it's the teacher that will help you gain that knowledge. One of the things that we're losing in, throughout church is Sunday school. And Sunday school is one of the places where people gain knowledge. But nobody wants to go to Sunday school. That's just for kids. Well, we're all the children of God. Whatever is here on Sunday morning for worship service should be in Sunday school someplace. But Sunday schools are shutting down, shutting down, shutting down. Wednesday Bible studies are shutting down, shutting down. Because God's people rather be ignorant than to be knowledgeable. And God says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. My people perish. See, Satan beats up on a lot of dumb Christians. All because they don't know. And he wants us to know. And he says he imparts knowledge to the people. That's the job of a teacher. To impart knowledge. Now, you can't be wise in everything. But you can have a little learning in everything. So on my little couch, I'm going through a book about this stick on just finances. It talks about Older people and their finances, young people, finances and daycare, what it should cost and how much of the salary or earnings should go into daycare. It talks about investment for long terms. It talks about the insurance, what kind of insurance you buy. It goes through the different names of insurances and so forth. Uh, The only reason I'm reading it, because sometimes people ask me questions. Now, I'm not no... I'm not real knowledgeable about all the insurance plans that are out here, but I should have some knowledge in case somebody asks me. If somebody asks me something about retirement, I should have some kind of knowledge about retirement. Or at least know who to point them to or help them get started or help clarify. And then it's helpful for me too to know those things for myself. 
And he says, he passes knowledge to the people. How? He pondered and searched out. He did what? Before he taught, he had to think it through. He had to ponder it. He has to search it out. See, there's a difference of giving you something off the top of my head and my opinion and the difference of our facts. Here are the facts about this thing. My opinion about it is just my own opinion. It may not be right, may not carry any water at all, but facts are the facts about these things. They're true. Now you have to pick what's best for you. And he says, boy, he pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs, many sayings, many things that he was going to teach. He had to think them through, search them out, then teach them. And that's important to do. Hate to say it, when we get grown, we don't want to be taught no more because we already know everything. Isn't it amazing what a 15 and 16 year old knows? They know everything and don't know nothing. You know. What we want to accomplish by teaching is the building of a godly character and wisdom and knowledge in a future generation who may continue with the work of God and bring themselves to that area of being perfect in Christ. The question that we have to ask ourselves often is simply this. Do we want to make the investment? Are we willing to make the investment? That's what's important. Are we willing to make the investment? We're a small church. And to take money to do other things means we sacrifice somewhere else. Mark and Faith have two kids at CVCF. They pay for what For these two kids, they're paying more than what I paid for my college. (laughs) But that was a long time ago. (laughs) But they're paying it. She has the privilege to go, but guess what? She don't know how hard and what sacrifice is being made over here. Boy, he's gifted with that piano. Do you have a piano at home? You do? Do your mom and dad play the piano? Why did they buy a piano? You polish that thing and dust it and keep it clean. Oftentimes when we make investments into the lives of people, at first they don't recognize the benefit or the blessing that is there. And sometimes we get upset with people because we're making an investment in them and they don't recognize it. Oftentimes they won't recognize it until years later what that investment really meant. But without the investment, the change never takes place. Somebody has to be willing to make the investment. Dr. King invested in all of us. In one sense, he gave his life, his family life, the life of his children, in order to be a blessing to many of us. He invested his life in a society, in a country, maybe more so than what he did in his own home. And many others have made that investment. 
When we live by faith, you need to understand this principle. When we live by faith, God will hold us up. And successful people have had to move from where they were because with no movement, there's no success. And it's our faith that gives us the ability to move. How many of you are scared to move from where you are? It was a frightful move for me to leave Chrysler, leave the home we was buying on Wooster Avenue at that time, and move all the way to Georgia. But it was faith in God that he had called us to go to school, to leave Chrysler, go to school, be educated for this, and trust him during those years. But there had to be movement. As long as I lived on Wooster Avenue, this would not be here today. But there had to be movement. And sometimes you hear it said in this fashion, you have to step out in faith. And that's your movement. You're trusting God. You have to move. And Acts 17, 28, we move and we live in who? In Christ Jesus. We have our total being in Christ Jesus. We're trusting him. And when you find people willing to invest in you, be ready to move. Be ready to move. Making an investment in one's life takes time. Now, what's the problem with time? We become impatient. And God says, boy, you need patience. But oftentimes with time, we become impatient because the other person is not moving fast enough for us. The other person is not growing fast. I'm going to give you just four years to get through school. I remember a letter that my son wrote me. He's going to take another semester to get through school. And uh-uh, I ain't spent four years. Ain't no more semester, brother. You better finish this semester or you done as far as any money from this household. And he got busy and he got done. <laughs> and talking about he going to do another semester. Well, you ain't paying for nothing. No, you ain't doing no <laughs> another semester. You know? And that brings our what? Our, our patience. <laughs> You know, but we have to learn patience while we're dealing with somebody because it's going to take time for that development and that change to slowly take place. People don't quickly turn and people don't quickly understand you're trying to help them. They think you're trying to run their life. They're they're thinking you're trying to get into their business. They're thinking that you're trying to do this with them and this with them. And the whole thing, it takes time to win a friend in order to lead a friend to Christ. And it takes something else. It takes energy. How many of you have ever been drained just dealing with somebody? And even when you see them outside the door, you want to act like I'm, I hope they don't see me in here. (laughs) Because to deal with them, it takes all your energy. But dealing with people, that's what it does. Especially hurting people. People who are trying to find their ways. It takes a lot of energy out of us. But God will restore the energy if you're willing. And then there's a mental commitment. Understand something. Everybody is not on your level. And I'm not no high somebody. and I don't think I'm way down here either, but some people, A, B, and C ought to be A, B, and C. (laughs) You know? And you're just trying to help them connect the dots, but they don't see the dots. They haven't learned how to build. You got to do A first, then you got to do B, and then you got to do C. They don't understand that because they just want to jump from A up to G or they want to go from A to Z. They, they just want the thing done with. No, it takes steps. And that deals with your psyche because sometimes you have to repeat it 
over and over. Have you ever told someone, I told you once now. I ain't told you twice. I'm not going to tell you again. That's dealing with the mental part now. And what we have to do is continue to deal with the person because it takes a mental commitment to deal with people. But that's what we're called to. We're called. Have you ever tried to talk to somebody coming down off of drugs? It's almost a waste of time, isn't it? Because when they're coming down, they want all kind of help. But once they get all the way down, they're ready to go find another. And then that last part really hurts. If it digs into my pocket, I may not even start it in the beginning. To deal with people, especially the church has to learn this all over again. To deal with our young people, to deal with people is going to take money. Go ask our Board of Education. To educate people, it takes funds. It takes material. It takes time, energy. And in that whole process, you're kind of like spinning a little bit. And God will provide it. If you do ministry for the glory of God, he will provide. Dr. Buna, I'll never forget his statement. He says, when you do ministry that will glorify Jesus Christ, never worry about the money because God will always support his ministries. Money will always follow God's work. Somehow he makes it happen. It may not be in your time, but God will provide. God will do it. Because God knows Satan uses that money thing against us. Because a lot of things that stop the church from doing the things that it needs to do is that little thing called money. Most of the time, these investments are being made by people with little income to spare. Investment means that an already difficult existence, if you give out another $5 or $10, becomes more difficult. The investments are made in hope, though, of the long range. Of the long range. One of the key words for all investors when they go out, they, they will tell you, it takes a long time for money to double. It takes a long time for this to happen. Money posted double every six to seven years. Money posted double. So if you put up 10000 within six to seven years, that's supposed to be 20000 You And that 20000 sits for another six, seven years, it's supposed to be 40000 It posted double by rule of thumb based on what the interest is basically working at. God made an investment in us. In John 3.16, he gave his son. That was an investment in us. That we would become his people through Jesus Christ. He gave his son, invested his son in us that we would become his children and be obedient unto him. Why don't you look at the long term with me? Go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Once you look at the long term that is set up and that Jesus knew it was not going to be a quick turnaround. Hebrews 12 and verse 2. 
Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, the joy what? Set before him. It's, hey, I don't have it right now. So that investor counselor will tell you, boy, if you put this up right now, on down the road, this is what you'll have. And your joy should be what you're going to have here after so many years and so forth. Not right now. And it says, boy, and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. What you want to look at sometime in the lives of people is not the present. Me and Faith, we, we were talking about something, about the Dominion, that how he came out. And a lot of people don't like to talk about the demon-possessed man. But one thing Scripture makes very clear about this demon-possessed man that sometimes we don't want to point out, he was naked. He didn't have no clothes on. How many of y'all going to deal with somebody with no clothes on? But Jesus saw beyond him not having clothes on. And sometimes we have to see beyond the person's present problem to be able to deal with them, to be able to help them, to be able to minister to them. And Jesus was able to minister to that man. And when the town folks came out, they saw him with clothes on what they saw was something different. But when Jesus first saw him, he was naked. And not too often is that brought up in Scripture. Because we don't want to deal with naked folks. We think something's really wrong up here. But the whole process, you deal with people where they're at. But hope that God gives you the eyesight to see where they can end up at. And that's the investment that God's calling all of us to make into the lives of people. And yes, it's going to take your time. Yes, it's going to rob you of your energy. Yes, it's going to take your mental strength. Yes, it's going to take a mental commitment. And yes, it's going to take some money sometime. But God will provide it. God will do it. Let's close out with 2 Timothy 4, 6. We are educated so we might invest in the lives of others. And and we have to understand that principle. God is not going to teach you so that you just sit around and do nothing. You stop your own spiritual maturity and education based on the very fact that you won't get up and do. And when you won't get up and do, you stop your own progress. Basketball players practice their moves. One thing you kept hearing about Kobe Bryant was how hard he worked on his moves. And he would be out on the court sometime when nobody else was out there practicing his shots and his moves. You have to practice what you're going to do sometime before you even get in the game to do it. But when you get in the game, because you practice it so much, you have confidence in yourself. And you have confidence in your God, because you know what your God has taught you. You know how your God has equipped you. You know how God has shaped you and formed you exactly for this purpose. And now you're ready to get in the game and perform it, that he might be glorified. So in 2 Timothy 4, 6, Listen to what he says. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. Can you imagine your life just being poured out in everybody else's life? Just take a pitcher and there's six people sitting around the table and you got a pitcher of water or, or, and you're just putting it in everyone's glass. That's what your life should look like. 
you're just being poured out into the lives of others. Yes, it becomes frustrating. Yes, it becomes hard. Yes, it becomes difficult. Yes, sometime, boy, I feel like the only thing I want to do is go home, shut my bedroom door, get in my bed, cover my blankets over my head. I don't want to hear nothing, see nothing. But that's not life. That's not the Christian life. For God called you. What is the meaning of a priest? He said, you are my priesthood. And the word priest means servant. You are my servants. You are my soldiers. You are my army. You're how I'm going to defeat wickedness. By using you to stand up against it. And he says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Are you fighting a good fight? The only one who can answer that is who? You. You're the one that has to answer, are you really fighting a good fight? Are you really in the race trying to finish? I'm going to share something with you. I don't care if you finish last. Finish. Finish. Don't quit. Finish. All of us are not going to be first. Pastor Brown may not be first. It might be ten runners and I might come in ninth. My job is to finish. I would love to be first. But that may not be the case. But what my job is to do is to finish it. Are you going to finish your race? No matter what age we are, Mary finished her race. Mary kept running. I don't know if many of you even know. Mary was functioning on about 40% of her heart. The last three months, she was functioning only on 20% of her heart. But Mary was at that door almost every Sunday there too. And you never heard her complaining. And I was sharing with her daughter, the blessed part of her life, yeah, she just went to Vegas, went to Washington, went and visited. And she only had about a two-month period in that dying process. She didn't linger. And she was able to say, I'm ready to go home. No more medicine. No more this. No more that. I'm ready to go. Because her and God have said, it's finished. You've crossed the finish line. Come on home. Are you running your race? Are you fighting a good fight? Are you going to finish your course? Jasper, you're running on one leg. Brother, are you going to keep running? Got another leg. Got to have surgery on. Brother Fisher, you're 90-something years old now. Are you going to keep running? Or are you going to quit? See, you and Brother Beecher got a good reason to quit. Age. But don't stop. Keep on running. Can't run fast. Don't try to keep up with that young man. Run your race. And each one of us, we have to run our race. Because God wants to use us. Amen? Father, we thank you that you are training us to fight against wickedness, to stand up against it, to speak out against wrongness. Would you continue, Lord, to educate us that we can know right from wrong? Would you continue to educate us that we can speak to others about marriage, and this is how marriage should be, that we can speak to people about their finances, and this is what your finances should be? 
Would you help us, Lord, to keep studying the Lord and keep learning that we can take the wisdom from the book and impart it into the lives of others? And Lord, help us not to be just hearers of your word, but help us, Lord, to be doers, to live it out, not being ashamed of the gospel, but designed to live out the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that he might be glorified. And he's glorified through us how we live. Lord, work in us, Lord. For the scripture says we are your workmanship. Do whatever work you need to do in us that you might glorify yourself through us. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name.